Welcome back to a Doctor Who Flashcast. I am Jason Snell, and we are talking about Season 11 of Doctor Who, Episode 8. We're, we're uh, getting close to the end of this short 10-episode season. Uh, it's The Witchfinders. This is an episode uh, set in the north of England, near Pendle Hill. And you know who else is in the north of England, near Pendle Hill? Why, it's Anthony Johnston. Hello. Hello, Jason. Yes, that's true. I am uh, in the vicinity. I can't see Pendle Hill from my house, but I am in the vicinity. I mean, you told me all about it when I visited you. So, and and then I saw it on Doctor Who, and I said, "Oh my God!" There, uh, somebody let Anthony know that there are witches nearby. Uh, and that's all were. it took for me to finally get, come on this flashcast. <laughs> that's right. It was your geographic proximity. <laughs> That was what we were looking for. So this episode was written by Joy Wilkinson, directed by uh, Sally uh, Pramian. Uh, this is the first time since the 80s that a woman has written and directed an episode of Doctor Who, which is ridiculous, but at least it has finally happened. Um, enlightenment. Yeah, which is wonderful, yeah. Back in the day. Uh, and uh, arguably Time in the Ronnie, because that was a husband and wife writing team and a woman director. Anyway, but here we are. Uh, and the Witchfinders is the story of uh, the uh, another famous witch trial, which I think Americans like me did not know about the Pendle witches. But uh, great that England was also taking innocent women and drowning them or setting them on fire, just like America. Oh, great. Yeah, well, I, I think we stopped doing it a little before you did, because hmm. uh, this whole thing is set before, you know, this is, well, they're not specific. One, one of the issues, one of the sort of nerdy issues I have with this episode is that trying to pin down exactly when it's set is difficult because of certain things they say that don't match up with, you know, the real timeline and what have you. But it's basically set around the very, very start of the 17th century. Like, I mean, literally, the latest this could possibly be set is uh, about, like, 1612. Right, and King Reign of King James uh, narrows it down a little bit, but it's the, yeah, it's the... Well, no, that's what I mean, I'm including the Reign of King James. Yeah. The Pendle Witch Trials themselves were in 1612. The Pendle Witch Trials were, they're one of the most famous sets of witch trials, hmm. just because of their sheer size in English history. That's why they're famous. There were so many witches uh, basically killed. Um, you know, because no witch is ever tried and then found innocent. Th that never happened. And I'm right. sure that was the same in the US as well. Sure. Uh, so, so many were tried and then uh, executed or died in prison as a result. I think I read somewhere that of all the women who were tried as witches in English history, uh, 2% of that entire number was the Pendle Witch Trials. It was a huge thing hmm. uh, and is still sort of not exactly celebrated around here because obviously it's not something that we look <laughs> back on with too much fondness but it's acknowledged as part of our history and it is pretty much the only thing that Pendle has as a tourist institution hmm. it's uh we know, I know you're going to do some fact-checking about, about Pendle Hill that we'll have to get to in a bit. Um, we have to do some... <laughs> like the fact that, you mean like the fact that that's not Pendle Hill? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and the, the, uh, the, uh, oh, Pendle Hill has no trees on it, right? Like, none. Uh, Pendle Hill is bold as a coot, yeah. yeah. And most of the land around it is as well. I, I, throughout the whole episode, I was just laughing, going, where are these forests exactly? Yes, uh, uh, yes. Wales is the answer. <laughs> They're in Wales. Right. Yeah, Pendle has never really been that sort of country. The same with the wide river that uh, Bile Hurst Crag, uh, you know, sort of sits over. Like, where is that river exactly? Mm -hmm. We have one river in uh, that area, the River Ribble. It ain't that big. 
Um, also, but, you know, show me whatever. the mud zombies. Where are they? Are there, where oh, are the exactly. mud tentacles? Not around. Exactly. Which is why, you know, whatever. It's Doctor Who. We don't care. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the early 1600s-ish. And that's what we, I guess, need to know. They are shooting yeah. for the coronation of Elizabeth I. They, they missed that. Um, but they did land on a Sunday. It's funny. Doctor Who is uh, on Sundays now. And they landed on a Sunday. So happy Sunday. I thought that was a... The, the show does have this kind of running gag about... Um, what day it's on <laughs> it's kind of like a, of all the saturday and now they move to sunday and it's all there uh and uh as the beginning of this episode uh, uh happens we see the uh, our main characters are watched by a scary masked man in a hat who turns out to be the king which i think is kind of interesting and he's played by alan cumming uh famous incredibly famous and talented actor um they uh they they cite pendle hill in quotes in the distance and realize that they're in lancashire and not yorkshire but they thought they were in the north they 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 figured that out from the accents although i'm not entirely convinced that accents in the 1600s would tell you anything about 21st century accents uh, uh, no absolutely not and also uh given that they're from sheffield i don't think they'd necessarily know the lancashire accent well enough hmm. To, to identify most people mistake Lancashire and Yorkshire accents for each other. Nobody from sort of like West Yorkshire or uh, North Yorkshire would ever mistake, you know, would make that mistake. But for South Yorkshire, that's very close to the Midlands. Again, we're getting into, you know, ridiculous nitpicking and what have you. I, I want to say that Alan Cumming, talking about accents, Alan yeah. Cumming's accent is brilliant in this. And there's been some, I've seen some pushback about it on Twitter from presumably people who don't know any Scottish people. What he's doing is he's not attempting an English accent. What he's doing is a really ridiculous, over-the-top, posh Scottish accent, which is kind of affects to be English, Mm. but the Scots shines through. And that's exactly what he hits. He does it brilliantly and, you know, chews up all the scenery in the process. Our friend Liz Miles, who was on a couple of weeks ago and is Scottish, said on Twitter that she thought that he did it perfectly, that his yeah. his posh Scottish accent was, was perfectly done. Well, and again, we don't know, nobody actually knows what King James really sounded like. You know, we don't because we obviously don't have recordings or anything. Mm. And like you say, the accents change over time anyway. But given his history, where he was born, his family, how he was raised, it's the kind of accent he probably would have had. So, you know, it was as good a choice as any. So I, I think that this is a good time to talk about Alan Cumming. So he is putting this episode as King James. He's watching from a distance and then he reveals himself as the king and everybody's very excited. And he is he is super into the idea of fighting back Satan at all in all places and drowning witches and getting Satan's influence out. And um, I would say... The This season has done this a lot. Uh, this episode definitely does it, where you're set up with somebody who you feel is going to be your antagonist for the episode, the overarching bad guy, right, of the episode. And King James, although... I, I read at the beginning of like, oh, this is going to be not King James or he's going to be King James, but possessed. He's going to be an alien pretending to be the king or whatever. And he's going to be the bad guy. And none of that was right. It is King James. He is an impediment 
he gets in the way of the doctor and her friends doing what they need to do but he's not the bad guy he's misguided and uh problematic in some ways but i think i i think this season has done a lot of this same sort of thing which is uh that person who you think is the villain is maybe not the villain after all and so instead alan cumming gets to transform from being kind of a uh a sinister uh potential impediment to by the end of the episode i just i loved i I just wanted him to keep talking because i loved every moment that he was on screen and my first reaction when we finished the episode was just to say alan cumming is really good at what he does like he's so he's so good (laughs) and he does such a great job in this episode that if there was nothing else redeeming about this episode and i think there is but um it would be worth it just for his performance he's great yeah yeah, he is. I mean, you know, this is why he's a beloved movie star. He is amazing. And also, if you if you may have thought that, uh, you know, the character, King James, was going to be a villain because of the way he was played as being paranoid and having this sort of weird uh, God's work martyr complex, no, that is actually what King James was like. <laughs> he yeah. really was a bit of a nutball. Um, and yeah, as you say, Alan Cumming played him absolutely brilliantly i mean yes he was overacting a little in places but that's kind of what you want Mm -hmm. for that sort of character Uh, and funnily enough talking about him you know being an impediment and not turning out to be the villain uh the other episode in this series that sally apramian directed was the spiders episode Mm. right uh which where exactly the same thing happened with chris noth's character right right it's a guy he is the uh uh the the analog to chris noth's character in that episode where he's he's annoying and uh maybe not your favorite person but is also not really responsible for the awful things or at least is not the the uh chris knows sort of responsible but he refuses to take responsibility but in this episode it's you know he's he's just he's he's causing trouble but he's not the reason that it's not his fault yeah that the mud people aliens are here exactly (laughs) exactly also um i really enjoyed his um crush on ryan throughout the episode i thought that was kind of adorable where he has all the time in the world to talk to ryan about things he doesn't really want to hear from graham he's happy to hear and he certainly doesn't want to hear from the doctor but uh he's happy to talk to ryan and then at the end invites ryan to come back to the palace with him and ryan's like i'm good okay thanks one of the things I love, I, again, <laughs> by the way, historically accurate. Yes, Most historians absolutely. do agree that King James was at the very least bisexual, uh, if not a closeted homosexual. Um, but w- one of the, uh, and talking again about Alan Cummings' performance, one of the sort of, you know, almost, not quite subtle, but it could have been so much bigger bits that he does when uh, Ryan says something about the, oh, that's it, he asks him what he does, and Ryan says, oh, mostly paperwork. And he goes, paper, fascinating. As, yep. <laughs> yep. Tell me more. It's like the least fascinating thing in the world. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, I don't care what it is, just talk to me. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's very good. I had they, they make a point early on, he sort of has some people around him, including his guy who dies, his his helper guy. Um Alfonso. Yes. yes. I um what struck me, I mean it's a, it's a they're trying to do a little bit of sleight of hand there because the king is roaming around the countryside you would think that there would be um more people a retinue yes a retinue yeah. around him <laughs> and, and they sort of they imply a retinue in the very first appearance of him when he takes off his mask and then they're basically never seen again and he's just kind of flitting around from place to place by himself and i i at several points i was like wait a second but it's like okay i'll just go with it i'm gonna go with uh, it you're right 
again, it's like, it's Doctor Who. They've got yeah. a story to tell. Their story is not about the realities of being a king and surrounded it, it, by... Exactly. And they could cut you know, to a nearby village where the whole retinue is waiting and, and they're like, is he still in there? I don't know. He hasn't answered the door. Mm, king, did he escape us again? They could do that if they wanted to, but nah, let's just... Nah. They could have, but yeah, you know, whatever. Who cares? One of the things, actually, that struck me about this episode... Uh, and maybe it's a little late in the season for me to realise this. Maybe I'm just a bit slow. But there's Doctor Who, as you know, was originally created to be a show for children. Uh, you know, a sort of a fun adventure series, but also educational. Also educational, yes. Um, right. And a lot of people have mentioned how Chibnall has clearly tried to sort of go back to that with this series that we have the sort of alternating sci-fi episode historical episode sci-fi episode historical episode which is great but i think one of the other things that he's done quite skillfully is this is now once again clearly a show for children and for the last few years it had kind of lost that for better or worse now i'm you know i'm not sort of judging it necessarily but for better or worse over the last few seasons uh, it had kind of tried to be all things to all people. Whereas I feel that this season, looking back, so as I say, my brain just kind of flipped on this episode and I thought back to the other episodes of this season. I thought, oh yeah, it is now actually quite deliberately targeted at kids. Because there's a lot of stuff in here, in a lot of these episodes, that adults look at like us and go, wait a second, that doesn't make sense <laughs> uh-huh. and there's a logic hole here and blah, blah, blah. Much more so than previous seasons. And they're not even attempting to try and sort of hand wave them away. Like you say, they could have cut away to his retinue in the village going, where's the king? Has anybody seen? What's the point? Kids aren't going to give a monkeys about yep. that. They don't care. And the adults what will probably instead is just say, okay, the entertainment yeah, factor. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was thinking about it as sort of uh, in the Stephen Moffat era, especially, he was making a show for i would argue a show for adults that kids could get something out of and i think this season is a show that is more for kids and teenagers and um and adults will get something out of it almost like a pixar kind of thing where it's i was just gonna say pixar myself right because it's there's lots of entertainment people shouldn't feel bad there's lots of entertainment that is that is focused on kids or at least is intended with kids as the primary audience that it has much more broad appeal harry potter pixar movies are great examples of that and doctor who can be like that but i do think that stephen moffat I mean, Stephen Moffat's best work are like thing. It's like a sex comedy and about divorce and about. I mean, it's like he's he's not necessarily well, his best work in your opinion. <laughs> well, I think I think <laughs> but, but yeah, not chalk, yeah. but but coupling. I think I mean before Doctor Who, I think coupling was his best work. It's like I, I just I don't know if Doctor Who is something that if he was a random person and not a Doctor Who fan, he would have chosen as a career move because it's not necessarily in his wheelhouse. Other than the fact that he is one of the world's biggest Doctor Who fans, and his I think his writing showed that that he wanted to get complicated and he wanted intricate time travel plots and things like that. And with Chris Chibnall, he's like we're going to keep it simple. We're going to, everything's going to be linear. They're not doing even two part episodes. It's like everything's linear. There are no time machine twists. The time machine is to take you to the story, not to be part of the story. And, um, and I think that's okay. I think one of the great things about Doctor Who is that in its 55 years of existence, it's been able to be a bunch of different shows at different times. Exactly. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want Doctor Who to always be like this, but because it hasn't been like this for so many years now, 
it's actually quite refreshing. Um, that yeah, the TARDIS isn't exploding every other episode, right. and like you say, they're not appearing in twenty different times across the course of a two-parter where the Doctor yet again is you know besieged as the greatest threat to the universe by all of his old <laughs> enemies and so which you know those are fine and i enjoyed those episodes but it's like we've done them quite it's, a few times now done. guys let's do something <laughs> you know? different i think that's yeah. i think if i was if i was chris chibnall and i was coming in to take over the show even if i thought the show was as best the best it had ever been and that the last five years had been the peak of the of doctor who i would still want it to be different because it's time yeah, for it to be different yeah yeah, exactly. Well, you've got you've got to make you leave your stamp on mm-hmm. the. Uh, I'm mixing my metaphors terribly, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, <laughs> you've no. got to put your stamp on the show he, as well. He needs yeah. to take his take on it and have it feel different, and that's part of the the beauty of of the way that the show works as a continuing story that also has completely different writers, producers, and actors as it goes along. That's that's the beauty of it. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think yeah, once ahead. again, well, I was just going to say, I think that that also is why, and we've all said this. I know we've all said this throughout this season as it's been going on that you know the plots are a little thin but the character work is superb and i think that's a byproduct of this as you say sort of like renewed focus on simplicity and making things linear and you know aiming it at a slightly younger age group than perhaps it has been in Mm -hmm. recent years and part of that is it's like okay well what then what else is there if we're not going to have complicated plots well then you've got to have really really good character relationships uh and once again just like pretty much every other episode this season this episode delivers there are some wonderful character moments in it yeah if i had to liken this um season to anything i would say it really reminds me of the first revival season in 2005 and that was the case where russell t davis wanted to make a show that was uh, appropriate for kids but that adults would also like he wanted to kind of go back to the original charter of the show but being the writer that he is he wanted um he wanted to focus on the characters and have you get to know these people and it was a radical idea to suggest that not only would there be a companion but you would meet her mother and her boyfriend and that we would see them more than once and that they would matter and all of that happened in that first season and that was kind of a radical departure from the old show but it was a it was him saying no this is what a modern show like this can be like and it feels a little bit like that now which is we're going to spend time with these characters and yeah the plot russell t davis was always brilliant at just sort of saying you know here's some anti-plastic throw it at the monster and it dies like let's just not worry about it it's like, yeah. like i'm not going to get into an intricate like techno babble about how we're going to defeat the monster here's a button you can push here's a thing you can throw and it's really about the people and the journey they take and that, that it's a, a fun time and you know this season's been kind of like that with plots are fairly linear and straightforward and simple and and a little bit patchy at times but the characters shine through like they they cast a bunch of good actors who are doing a great job i feel like the doctor in this episode has a lot of great moments the one of the things that i wondered coming into the season is how much they would they would talk about the fact that the doctor is now a woman and you know she mentions it in the first episode she was like oh you know does it suit me and and you know 30 minutes ago i was a gray-haired scotsman but 
in uh, in this episode, uh, I feel like maybe the the best to date. She has to grapple with the the some sexism of the period, not just in being accused of being a witch, but like when the king doesn't believe that she's the witch finder, that it must be Graham, and that she has to deal with that. And at one point, she's she just says, "If I were a bloke, I wouldn't have to deal with this. Um, I wouldn't have this to spend waste time defending all this time. myself." Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So so I I think that's interesting that they give they give. Um, Jodie Whittaker more of that to kind of play with a little more outrage about how um, how women are treated, uh, which I, I I was happy to see. I like to see that. I, I agree. I don't think they overdid it either. This episode's right. probably got more of it than most other episodes we've seen. But yeah, it didn't feel like it was overdone any more, and maybe it would have. But I I felt they struck a good balance right um, and the witch and it, it's, a, it's, it's an episode about the situation as well witch it's, trials how would the doctor if the doctor's a woman how would the doctor not be considered a witch right like exactly. how would that be possible exactly. and so she does but get even, but even yeah. that aside you're, you're right the bit where she uh where she looks again at her psychic paper and says assistant uh, <laughs> you know and the um what's her name becca says like you said you were the witch finder general and King James literally just laughs, says, don't be ridiculous. A woman could never be the general. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that's all you need to do. That's, that's, that, that set everything up for the episode there. You know, you didn't need to then, it didn't need to then be laid on with a trowel because that was enough for a modern audience anyway, especially young kids who haven't necessarily, you know, experienced this sort of thing in the real world yet to go, wait a minute, what? Uh, and, you know, just got the point across really well, I thought. A bit like when um, uh, there's a line when Graham says something like, you can trust me. And uh, King James goes, I trust no one. Yes. And that's it. And it's just that one little line. But again, it brilliantly got across his paranoia in, you know, in a couple of seconds. Um, yeah, just really well played and just a really good script as well. We get, um, I like the, that, uh, Jodie Whittaker gets to play the outrage of the doctor seeing like, well, no, no, we can't interfere. And then they witness oh, yeah. the, the drowning and she just dives in to swim across and save her. And they're like, oh, well, so much for not interfering. And I thought that was a very, um, very doctorish thing to do. Right. Which is, well, no, this is outrageous. We, we can't just sit here and watch this happen. Even though this will bring trouble upon us, we can't sit here and watch this happen. And of course, it turns out there's a greater story going on and there are aliens involved. But the injustice, I actually think this is one of the ways that the Chibnall uh, season... Uh, this season has been treating historical is that you know there's a lot more historical than um than alien or science fiction in nature like the science fiction is there but it's kind of it, to go back to saying it's kind of educational like it doesn't invalidate the historical kind of premise of the show like the rosa parks episode i felt did that very much that it was teaching us about the real history while having a little bit of a science fiction menace and this episode's like that too there were witch trials back then yes it turns out the woman who's in charge of this is uh trying to inflict this on others because she's infected herself but it's kind of beside the point of this part of the story where the real injustice is is not that there are aliens it's that they're drowning women Exactly, exactly. Although I would like to point out, and this is me being nitpicky again, but ducking souls were not used for, for witches. <laughs> that is such a terrible myth. Like, witches, yes, were tested. They were floated in water. They had, I believe, their thumbs tied to their toes and then thrown in the water, which in some ways is worse than a ducking stool because then you're completely disorientated as well mm-hmm. and you have absolutely no chance of floating. Um, but yeah, ducking stools being used for witches complete fallacy that aside uh i thought the conceit of the ducking stool 
being, you know, the tree being the the thing that set all this off was a, a really nice way of tying that aspect of it up. The whole, okay, witch trials are bad, everybody knows it, but here's a sort of a plot-based way of saying they're literally bad. Mm. Like, it's, you know, it's only because you started ducking witches that this whole thing kicked off. If you hadn't done that, we'd all have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, also cutting down trees, don't do that. Because that, that's like the original... That's, a, that's bad. The yeah. original sin of this episode is that the rich lady... Uh, had a tree in the way of her view and so she cut it down and that started them down this path which is just like despite the fact that that tree clearly is you know just looking by the size but you can tell it's, it's obviously meant to be at least a couple of hundred years old mm-hmm. and it turns out it's actually alien material that's been around for thousands of years but who knew um, well, yes. <laughs> well, as, as we get with that lovely demonstration when she uh, runs the sonic screwdriver over it, and you see the circuitry in mm-hmm. the uh, in the bark at the end. Just a, again, a nice little flash. You only need to see it once, and like, oh, okay, it's it's not a tree. <laughs> and I, I like that. Um, again, that's a, an almost sort of fantasy treatment that I really appreciate in Doctor Who. Sometimes is please don't explain this. Like we we don't need. Like, right, I, yeah. I wave my magic wand. You see that this tree is also kind of computery. We're done here. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's all you need. Move on. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't need any more detail than that. And yes, the, it is sort of silly, but it's also it's fine. I get it. Let's move on. Um, again, again, it's not the point of right. the episode. It's not the point of the show. So um, the mud zombies appear in this episode. They're the, they're the villain that is the morax the morax yes and they they are they are at least in the form of this kind of mud blob but they they fill these bodies the of the women who have been uh killed for being witches and they they uh emerge and they stalk uh around through the town um and and their their threats how did you what, what did you like did you, did you like the mud zombies were they a good uh, threat to have i i did i thought so i mean they weren't all that threatening <laughs> But they looked threatening. You know, in terms of their actions, they actually really weren't all that... They just kind of stalk around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But they looked fantastic. It was, uh, you know, some great makeup, some good special effects. I loved the subtle uh, movement writhing underneath the sort of mud-filled skin Hmm. on um, the main character, on Becca, when she was transformed and filled. Right. Filled and killed. Check out my rhymes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I thought they were... uh, I thought they were a good villain. I... I mean, I don't... Obviously, we're not going to, in this season, see them again, but they're the kind of villain that I could well imagine will now wind up in the novels and the radio plays and may well come back uh, on the TV because it implied that this is just the the nobility of the Morax who've been imprisoned here for war crimes. Bit keen on telling people they were imprisoned for war crimes, I thought, mm-hmm. but you know, that aside. Um so clearly there is a race of Morax out there somewhere and they're not very nice. So I'd be amazed if we don't see them again at some point in the future. And I like I mean the I think the implication is that they're they're basically as part of their imprisonment, they're kind of boiled down into their essence or that or that. But I, I think the idea of a race of of uh horrible creatures that are, you know, they 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 are mud basically and they possess uh human bodies to move around uh you know that that leads to a lot of kind of you know horror kind of motifs that are are fun it's zombies but it's also kind of possession and uh 
And yeah. A disgusting possession at that. It's not like it's sort of, you know, clean, ghostly possession or something. This is really horrible, dirty, you know, kind of disgusting possession. One of my favorite (laughs) moments in the episode actually is when uh, Becca has the mud blob streak out of her eye when in that final conflict. I was like, oh, oh, that's good. Yeah. The moment that happened, I was like, Oh, okay. That's it's a a you know props to the effects mm-hmm. people because it looked really natural, but also a dead giveaway. Yep. <laughs> the moment that happened, I was like, oh, it's her. She's full of mud now. <laughs> it turns out, who knows? Um, interesting. Um, it, oh, that was sorry. I j- just uh, spotted something in my notes. That was a, a brilliant line from Yaz as well when. Uh, uh, when that when King James is like you know possessed by Satan, and when she's like, mate, seriously, not witches, bodies possessed by alien mud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the most matter of fact thing well, in the world. Actually, that that was a note that I made is that there's a moment when it's the moment when Alfonso gets gets killed actually, um, and it's after the not to kill her but to fill her. Check out my rhymes. Um, there's a moment where for expediency's sake, it would be easiest for the doctor to agree that they are creatures of Satan and that they, that what this is the true threat and it's not the witches and that we need to find a way to, to destroy the creatures of Satan. So if she lies to them and feeds into their superstitions and their beliefs, then it, that would be the easiest way to handle the situation and she can't do it. And it's, we don't even see her struggle with it. And I thought that it was very fitting with that character that it doesn't matter if, if it's expedient to say, yes, these are, these are uh, possessed by Satan and we need to stop them. And she's instead, she's like, no, no, no mud zombies, alien possession. It's not Satan. And I thought that I I, I appreciated that. Like just because I could tell you what you want to hear and get you to do what I want, but I'm not going to do that because it's not true. Well, and it was expedient in the sense of the plot, you know, from the writer's point of view, it's expedient for the doctor to not agree and not, Mm -hmm. you know, say, yes, these are tools of Satan and what have you. But it is one of those lovely moments where plot expediency actually aligns perfectly yes with the character and especially this doctor i mean all of the doctors obviously but this doctor has made quite a point of trying not to lie Mm -hmm. to you know it's sort of even when it's the most the more difficult option of telling the truth when people need to know something so yeah it was a nice alignment of uh character and plot and you talk about um the idea that um we can do some shorthand and we don't need to necessarily belabor a lot of these points to get the point across i actually thought one of the most effective uh examples of that in this episode is when they um they they basically ask willa to go in against the doctor and they they basically threaten her and say you need to accuse the doctor of being a witch or we're going to get you and she agonizes over it but she finally says you know i did wonder about when she said and um and then they say aha arrest the witch i thought that was a very short scene and um they could have spent a lot more time with her agonizing over it and being apologetic later it all happens very fast but i thought for a one minute 
or less example of exactly how this thing was allowed to happen and how it's a tool to control a population by basically saying, turn on one another or, or we will destroy you. And she's left with no other choice essentially, but to do that because she's afraid. And, um, and so I thought that was really effective. Like it, it happens fast and they don't dwell on it, but I thought it was really effective on, we put the screws to her and she's going to turn in her friend. That's it. Yeah, t- turn in your friends or or you'll be next. Although, if you uh, look at what she actually said, she doesn't accuse the doctor. Yes. All she says is, I did think it was a bit strange. Yes. Which, I mean, it's a It's a betrayal, but she's not she's not <laughs> lying about it. I think that's because yeah, they want her exactly. to redeem her rapidly later. So <laughs> That's true, true, yeah. But I mean, it was, but you're right, that it was a very effective demonstration of, and again, yeah, a bit of, much as he was chewing the scenery throughout the episode, a nice bit of fairly subtle facial acting from Alan Cumming when he says something about, think about, you know, uh, what you're saying and are you sure, you know, what you about what you saw the Doctor do. Mm-hmm. And just the, the expression on his face, he doesn't overdo it, but there's a subtle kind of widening of the eyes and, you know, clearly, as you say, meant to imply to her without say, outright saying it, I'm going to have you if you don't dob her yeah, in. to your king, um, and you know what I want you to say, so you better say it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I, again, nice bit of subtle acting in amidst all the very, very big <laughs> acting that's going on around it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so they... Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. One, there, was one, there was one other thing that got me, uh, again, talking about sort of plot expediency and stuff and not explaining things... Uh, but one thing did bother me. How does the doctor know that burning the tree is going to be toxic to the Morax? She doesn't know that. She she has no hmm. way of knowing that whatsoever. Yeah, I <laughs> it's, I mean it's it's just kind of and again, this is how you do these things. She doesn't ask, she doesn't suppose, she just says it. I, and so you accept I, it and you know and the story moves and on. There, there's, but it did make me me think how for, you for me that? it's it's a headcanon thing where there's an omission there that you can probably fill with yourself i think she does imply that since the tree is the you know the bottle cap or whatever is the part of the electrified fence that keeps them in the you know buried in the mud of the hill as their prison that um that this this is the, the way they stay in there is that this stuff is toxic to them uh, but it's all just Again, it's one of those examples where I, I, if if it could be just a plot hole, or it could be the writer saying, "Nah, I I'm not going to explain this." <laughs> like it would be because they could they could I, fake it up further. But it's like oh, it's totally. Yeah. She just gives enough of an explanation to say, "Well, you know, it's part of the thing that's part of the security system, so they it'll get them." I'm like, okay, I, I'll buy it. I wouldn't be surprised if an earlier draft had her explaining that. And then they just went, you know what, just cut that. We yeah. don't need that. It's, um, it's but it does, it does mean that, you know, when you watch it a couple of times, as I have especially, you go, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, she knows stuff. You know, I guess she knows that. Yeah, you she's know. the doctor. I mean, the yeah. doctor does have that ability to just be like, no, trust me, I, I, this is going to work. And it's like, all right, okay. But not to know the only path up the hill, apparently. Mm. Which, it's a hill. Yeah, <laughs> just just go up. I don't know. There's, a, yeah. it, I think there's a funny moment where they... um. I think like everybody gets knocked out and then wakes up, um, which is I don't know, but they they wake up Graham and um, and they uh, they make the torches and she gets the hat, which I think is a nice moment where Graham yes. is like, no, no, you you deserve this. 
this hat, but and, and she says it's a very flat team structure. I thought all of that was very good about this these people trusting each other and they've traveled with each other and they know each other. I thought I, yes, I the uh, the team gang yes fam. yes maybe, maybe not <laughs> they brought brought that back again. But the the you know it's like so you're in charge of this and he's it's a very flat team structure. And then she she winds that back and shows that she's appreciative of of uh, yeah. of Graham and and uh, that is a funny moment where. Uh, early on where the doctor has to be like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, he's the boss. And it's like, ouch, that hurts, that hurts. But here he gives her the hat and says, here it is. And uh, and yeah, and so King uh, King James, ban- ban- uh, what, vanquishes Satan. That's not, no, dude, that's not. Effectively. <laughs> mm, all right, whatever. But uh, but he's he's proud of it. And uh, yeah, it gives him his victory. Yeah. yeah. And it was a nice, I mean, you know, it's not like it was an all out action uh you know big budget action scene or anything but it was a nice scene to sort of show uh you know everybody getting involved at least that's if i have one criticism of this season as a whole it's that i think maybe there's one too many companions yeah. because one of them keeps getting sidelined exactly in, you know sort of each episode uh and in this one it felt like it was ryan mm-hmm. even though he did have a few lines he did feel kind of like he really didn't do an awful lot i like the three person uh three companion thing just because it's a different dynamic but um i agree it it limits the amount of time we get to focus on any one of them um it has an interesting effect on the plots where this episode does this where they are peeling off one or two people to go do another thing in the plot so yaz gets sent off to the burial and sees the mud zombies and then brings that information back and then i think yaz and the doctor go off and ryan and graham are doing something else and that can speed the plot along in some ways because you don't have to have all your characters going through it but um Although sometimes that's... Yeah, they don't have to move the entire party to every right, location. Right, And then sometimes you have that where the Doctor and the Companion get separated and they do it that way. But but you're right. It, it's, it's, it's a fun dynamic because it's different, but I do think that everybody uh, gets a little less uh, character time than maybe we would like. And in a 10-episode yeah. season, it will go really fast. And, exactly, uh, exactly. And, and then yeah. it's gone. But it is, it's yeah, nice that, to see the... The bit the, where they... Yep. The bit where they get knocked out uh as you were saying like by the uh, by the mud monsters mm-hmm. and they kidnap the king and whatever and everybody was so that was i understand why they did it and it even made plot logical sense it's not like it was a plot hole but it just felt really it's weird. super weird right like that like that yeah. the story just jumps ahead a uh, chapter like right. oh well they suffice yeah. it to say they took the king and they went away and we all got knocked out and they don't show it and you know it's just it is it is a funny it's just it struck me structurally as being a very strange little little skip forward but yeah very odd I, again i wonder if there's an earlier draft where that was a longer yeah. scene transition and then they just went no we, we haven't need, got time for we, this. we have, don't have time or it. money to do to show this and we'll just we'll just leap ahead <laughs> yes they <laughs> like the big impressive door <laughs> i do like the yeah exactly they do like the um i do like the the that last stand where the mud the mud people melt and the uh and then the uh, the final queen of the Morax uh, refuses to go, basically, which allows uh, the king his his vengeance on her by setting her on fire or whatever he does, and she explodes. And but I like that idea that the mud people are sort of getting sucked back into the earth. He's, they've reversed the vacuum cleaner or whatever, and it's sucking <laughs> them back in. Well, and she doesn't well, want to go. And if that's one thing, they got absolutely right about the geography 
here. It's that this is a very wet and muddy part of the country. So we do have an absolute abundance. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> and, and it turns out some of that mud is uh, alien warm criminals, apparently. Um, and the last scene, I you know what? There is something I find delightful about the end of a Doctor Who episode where there are people that they've met either on an alien planet or especially in the past. And they had that moment where they go back and there's this green landscape and there's this bright blue box. And there's that moment of like, Oh, you're, you better watch this one. This is going to be good. You're going to like this one. And we get it here. And I think that's fun. And I think even more fun is that Jodie Whittaker quotes uh, Arthur C. Clarke, and as the any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic, which is such a great moment since we've been talking about aliens and he thinks they're uh, the apparitions of Satan. of Satan. Yeah. And then the, the TARDIS grinds away. And I just I, I really enjoy that. And I think that's a fun moment. Also a fun moment that it's the it's the girl who's just a commoner girl who lost her grandmother and was going to be accused of being a witch and the king of England. <laughs> are just standing next to each right. other watching watching them go <laughs> both equally baffled mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it was although fun. i i did note that she was ple- he was like baffled and kind of a bit clearly a bit scared by it whereas she was baffled and quite pleased by it which i thought was a yeah a, a nice little subtle differentiation to make i wondered the arthur c clark quote i wonder if that's the first time we've heard that in doctor who mm, it might be i mean it, it would it on the one hand it would surprise me if it was but on the other hand, I'm thinking like, well, but how many other places would they have had chance to to say it? Because it, uh, it is one of my favorite quotes. Well, so. I, I'm happy to tell you that the TARDIS Data Core wiki tells us that Clark's Law is paraphrased in The Pirate Planet, which is a uh, Douglas Adams episode. Uh, ah. The Seventh Doctor tells Ace that the reverse is also true <laughs> in Battlefield. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and in... Uh, he the twelfth doctor paraphrases it when in the episode where the twelfth doctor and Clara go to the Viking village, the girl who died. So it has been oh, more than once really? quoted or paraphrased, and quite recently. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty good though. Pretty pretty good. I so here's the thing. I thought this episode was fun. I liked it a lot. I I did not think that it was. Um, you know, particularly mind-blowing or earth-shattering in any sort of way, but I thought the performances were good. Alan Cumming was great. I liked the setting. I liked the the kind of historical adventure. I thought the mud zombies were cool um, and, and you know, appropriately monstery. Um, I liked that there was, in the end, there is a cackling baddie who says you will all bow down to us and we will kill you bah i kind of like that we got one we haven't had a lot of that since the first episode of this season and so i like that there is a real villain even though it's not who we think um so that's i so in the end you know again not not necessarily the weightiest of episodes but i thought it was a lot of fun and that alan cumming was great what did you think i agree with pretty much all of that i think melodrama in something like doctor who is underrated um you know, there is, again, a tendency that has been in recent years to maybe try and play it a bit too seriously or a bit too kind of mature. And there is an, ele- an element of Alan Cumming's performance here of Panto, frankly, about the way he plays King James. But it's OK. I think you can get away with that in this kind of story and in the way that they're making the show 
you know, this season. And yeah, I agree. It wasn't the best episode, uh, but it was a good one. I enjoyed it. I happily watched it again uh, in preparation for coming on here to talk about it. Yeah, it was good. And, you know, again, the performances were all great. The Doctor and the Companions continue to sort of surprise and delight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I also think it's a really good... I love the fact that people like Alan Cumming, Alan Cumming, international movie star, goes, yeah, I'll, I'll do Doctor Who. Yeah. I'll do an episode of Doctor Who. Why not? Because it's Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's gone from being that thing that they're like, oh, don't, no, you know, don't touch Doctor Who because it's awful. Uh, this revival has gotten to the point where now it's it's an institution. Of course I will do it. Exactly. I keep... Well, it's like if you watch um, British crime shows like uh, Inspector Morse and Midsummer Murders and Lewis and things like that, it's the same kind of thing where you will get big names, big name actors appearing on those shows because they are institutions. It's like, yeah, you know, it's it's a week's work or whatever, a couple of weeks' work. I get to play a murderer or the victim of a murderer, you know, or whatever. Um, and it's just they're watched by so many people in this country that even from a purely kind of practical, pragmatic point of view, they're worth doing. Millions of people are going to see that performance, but also they're just beloved. Yeah. I keep, I think maybe his deal with CBS will nix this, but I kept waiting like, surely there's got to be a Patrick Stewart appearance at some point, right? Surely. Or as like Ian McKellen, (laughs) they got as a voiceover at one point, something like that maybe. But I just, one of the, I feel like everybody who's a British actor has to show up on Doctor Who at some point now. It's almost an an imperative that they do. Patrick Stewart turned up on Doctor Who Twitter would explode. It's, I mean, it's it's true. It's it's true that would that would happen. There was, you know, apparently so would Tumblr actually with all the gifts. Apparently, Can you apparently, Stephen Moffat at one point was planning a a Star Trek, uh, a Star Trek crossover episode uh of doctor who oh my goodness and it never came off i can imagine why i wonder why but uh it's still kind of a funny a funny thought uh to have it yeah this is this was uh yeah this was a fun episode there's a lot of good stuff in it um it was uh enjoyable to watch it the character stuff was great there's some good dialogue um alan cumming is great yeah it's 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 i think this is the um one of the good things about this season has been trying some different variety, trying to make it feel a little bit different from last season and not getting to, like you said, not maybe letting it get too serious and too bogged down. And sometimes Doctor Who is meant to be fun. And I thought this was fun. So Yeah, good. exactly. It, it was a fun episode. And by the way, I would say to anybody in England, the, the uh, Pendle Witch Walk that Graham mentions is a real thing. Um, like I say, the Pendle Witches are kind of the closest thing that we have to a tourist industry around here. So if you ever find yourself in Pendle uh, in East Lancashire, you know, go to Pendle Hill, go to New Church in Pendle to the witch shop, you know, maybe go on the walk. Uh, they're fun things, but don't expect to be walking through misty forests yes (laughs) important points for the uh the so representing the lancashire tourist bureau antony johnston uh thank you for coming on and talking about doctor i was wondering who i was going to talk to this week and i said well there's pendle hill maybe i'll ask antony see seeing as how he can report live from the scene about where the uh mud aliens are now which is buried in the hill i guess yeah yeah indeed i shall keep an eye out for them uh, okay. as i'm walking my dogs no thank you for having me it's been fun it's i can't believe this is the first time i've been on this thing but normally i don't uh well normally i don't get asked because you've got lots of doctor Who I, uh, it's on the true network. there are so many <laughs> whereas i've just watched it all my life what that's do I all know? really <laughs> it turns out that pendle hill is all that was required 
<laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to the Doctor Who Flashcast. We'll be back next week with episode nine. Oh, it's getting so close to the end. Getting so close, but we're not quite there yet. We will see you next week. 